Hi, I'm Austin, host of Beyond Our Bubble. Nowadays, a lot of people are discussing political bubbles, where people only hear repetitions and variations of their own political views. So I figured, hey, I happen to have friends across the country on either side of the aisle. Why don't I just interview them so I can hear their perspective without interrupting or arguing? So that's what I did. I interviewed people from my world, just people you'd meet around town, and hear their views in Beyond Our Bubble. Hey everyone, this week we're doing something a little different. I had two guests that wanted to talk about a pretty similar topic, and they're pretty short episodes, so I figured I'd release them both this week so we can get two different perspectives. So here's the first one today, and the next one will be coming out on Thursday. Enjoy! Hello, I'm Austin, I'm host of Beyond the Bubble. And I'm Terry, and this is my story. Great. So Terry, just to start us off, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm uh, an individual who grew up in Chicago, Grew up in a rather uh, liberal family uh, where religion was something that was considered important but not significant, so it wasn't really a big part of our home. Uh, Father was a businessman. I grew up and started my career in banking and continued that for 30 years until just the last year when I got into being a financial advisor. Right. How about... uh can you tell us a little about your banking background, like where you started off with banking? Sure. Um, I was uh, uh, originally in agricultural banking, so my career started in the early 1980s, and it wasn't too long thereafter that the perfect storm hit and agriculture hit what was known as the Great Depression of Agriculture, unlike anything that had been seen since about the 1940s. Were you in Chicago at this point? Or is there a lot of farming in Chicago? No, at that point, I, I had g- done my studies at Iowa State University. Okay, so you're in Iowa when this is happening. Yes. In the Great Depression of agriculture. And I moved from being a lender during the first uh, three years of my career, at which point I was moved into litigation in which I was basically put in charge of trying to work out bad farm loans with farmers. Once a loan had gone bad and they were unable to pay the loan back, it was my job to try to create a solution whereby the bank could get paid the money or the bank or the farmer could get out of his position where he was unable to pay his loan back. This sounds a lot like the financial crisis of 2008 in some ways. It's very similar. It would mirror that very similarly. And then you moved off into other forms of banking? Yeah, in, in the early 90s, uh, an opportunity came forth to work at a large commercial bank. And now uh, you're changing your banking again now to being a financial, your kind of career path to being a financial advisor. Yeah, I've worked, worked more into investments and financial advising. Wow, so you've been an exciting career so far, working in the agriculture sector of banking during the financial, the Great Depression of agriculture in the 80s, then working in the commercial region when during the housing crisis in 2008 and now as people are trying to recover from the financial crisis thinking about retiring um now you're kind of working with retirement plans do you think of yourself as a storm chaser of banking <laughs> no i wouldn't say i was a storm chaser chaser as much as i've been one who's been putting an opportunity to help solve problems for people when they're in a in a situation that's uncomfortable to them uh, and I want to get back to banking, but first I want to kind of go back to what you mentioned earlier. Uh, you mentioned um, that your family 
back home was, how did you say it? Interested in their faith, but wasn't very involved. Is that how you described it? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty accurate statement. Um, so I, I was I was raised Catholic, um, but it was never really a very significant part of my life. Okay, so then moving forward, give me kind of a, a deeper background of your faith background. What does your faith mean to you now, and and why is that the case? Well. <clears throat> When I was in high school, I always kind of had an interest in spiritual things, but never really found that the church provided much practical applications to it. So uh, my good friend and I, when we would have uh, what was known as CCD, we weren't probably— What does that the, stand for? That's a very good question, but it was Catholic uh, Sunday school is all okay. I can think okay. of. And we were we were— told to go there and needed to go there in order to be confirmed, which I didn't even know what being confirmed meant. But my friend and I, our pattern was as our parents would drop us off at the front door. We'd walk in the front door. We'd walk through the halls of the Sunday school there, and then we'd walk out the back door and usually go walk around for an hour, and then we'd do the same thing. I'd walk in the back door and come out the front door when our parents would pick us up. So that's funny. <laughs> it, it really wasn't a very uh, significant part of my life, but it didn't mean that I didn't think about the fact that there was a, a God who was over this earth and who cared for us and loved us. And that was always something that was kind of a deep-seated belief within myself. When I was in high school, I got involved in a group called uh, Campus Life Youth for Christ, and at a retreat they uh, that I went to, it was it was a fascinating time when I heard it explained that all of us were created in order to we were created by God in order to serve Him, and I realized that my deep longing was for relationships and to be accepted, and I realized that God wanted to love me. And he loved me enough that he sent his son to die for me, uh, Jesus. And so, but it was only when I would confess my sin or my wrongdoing against him and ask Jesus to come into my life that I could have this relationship with God. And I, I sincerely felt God knocking on the door of my life saying he wanted to come in. And I answered that calling and have committed my life to him ever since that time. How has your faith impacted your life now? Well, I'd say my faith guides me in everything I do. Uh, I, I spend every day doing morning devotions of which I, I will read God's Word, spend time in prayer, and really try to seek God and what's best for my life and how I can serve Him. Um, so as a, as a firm Christian, as a passionate Christian, um, what... Do you, what what issues are the issues that are really important to you that you like to vote on, based on your faith? Are they all issues or? Yeah, I would say every issue, and and I don't think that there's uh, issues that are unique to being a Christian. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes yeah. we do see some issues that get branded, so to speak, as being unique to those who are Christians. For example. Gun control is one that oftentimes 
seem like they go with being the far right. Uh, whereas I would disagree with that. I would say that responsibility for bearing arms is maybe more of a uh, outside of what God would say. I don't think there's any direction from God's word in the Bible that would talk about gun control or something like that. Other things, whereas the sanctity of life, we might see a little bit more direction on because God claims all life being valuable. So with that being said, uh, abortion is probably something that I'm not comfortable with, but it's not a bedrock situation for me. How about, how do you think Christianity is viewed in today's society? That's a really good question. Uh, We have a nation that was founded upon a faith in God. Uh, It's in all of our early earliest manuscripts in the Constitution and talking about we believe in one God. And so obviously we have a nation that was founded with a Christian heritage. But um, today uh, it's almost the phrase, the separation of church and state, uh, has really gone to an extreme that I believe is beyond what was meant by the founding fathers when they wrote it. Okay, can you give us an example? Well, uh, for for centuries it was always acceptable to talk about God even in the public schools because that was considered the foundation of our uh, of who we were as Americans. Um, today we we've basically removed that. And I recently encountered a situation where in a public school in Wisconsin, they, t- they wanted to have a Muslim celebration that was talked about, which I have no problems if you want to, from a historical standpoint, talk about it. But it's interesting that you could bring in a Muslim and talk about what they believe, but if you asked a Christian to come in and talk about what they believe, that would not be allowed today. So you must feel like there's been some infringement upon of, of Christian beliefs. Yeah, I, I feel pretty strongly today that there is almost a, a discrimination on Christian beliefs in our country today. Given examples such as? Yeah, I think other religions have more opportunities to talk about what they believe and why, and is, is even more accepted than, it would, than Christianity would be today. So yeah, we're going to change courses here for a second and kind of move back to banking, if that's right with you. That'd be great. So in 2010, after the financial crisis, Congress passed, and, and then Obama signed into law, the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. Nowadays, just called Dodd-Frank. Which, and this brought on a wide swath of new financial regulations. So for me, I'm obviously not a banker, it's hard for me to wrap my head around all of this and so what some of the regulations do and how they impact banks. And unfortunately, we don't have enough time to really dig into the nitty-gritty on the show. But uh, for the sake of sharing how small banks can feel impacted by uh, Dodd-Frank, I have a quote here from Hester Pierce, who is the director of Financial Markets Working Group. This is a, a government-established group to review financial markets. She said, uh, the aspects of Dodd-Frank that are of immediate and long-term concern to small banks include, let's see, extensive new mortgage rules, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, this is the new government agency that protects yeah, consumers in the financial sector, uh, capital requirements, the new municipal advisor registration regime, 
data collection requirements, new conditions on the use of swaps for managing interest rate risk, and uh, deepening of the too-big-to-fail status of large financial institutions. Yeah, so that's a lot. That's like nine things. Um, and I really have no idea what most of that means. And I, uh, But thankfully, she summarizes that to say pretty much it just means increased legal and regulatory compliance burden on small banks and then regulatory barriers for community banks' ability to provide, to continue providing their bread and butter products and services. What do you feel about that? Are you supportive of Dodd-Frank? Are you not supportive of Dodd-Frank? Do you feel like these um, regulations do impact small banks? Well, one of the things that is unique is that with the Dodd-Frank regulations, they came about as a result of the banking crisis. There are sweeping regulations that were cast upon all financial institutions. And what, what happens is that large banks have economies of scale so that they can hire uh, many compliance officers to make sure that the banks are following these regulations that are in place. Unfortunately, smaller banks, the very banks that were not even having the problems with the credit issues because they tend to be more conservative by nature, have to hire compliance individuals. And if you are not a large bank, that's a very large cost to a bank to, to hire one or two additional compliance people, which are non-income producing employees for the bank. So it puts a further financial burden on you when on your the bank smaller bank, really, yeah, yeah. Smaller when, banks definitely feel the the troubling of of this situation. Do any of the regulations are any of them specific to just banks over a certain size that leave some of these smaller banks free from these regulations? There are some banks that uh, have regulations that if they're just over five hundred million that they have things and. Uh, for example, some of the accounting regulations are only for banks that are of certain size, but many of the regulations are for all banks, no matter the size. Wow. So that can kind of put a, uh, a burden on, especially these smaller banks, for sure. Yeah, because when the, all banks get regulated either by the state or the federals uh, every year. And when a regulator comes in, they have the ability to even put a cease and desist on the bank if they're not following the regulations to the degree that they feel they should be. Because I think most banks are profit-driven, uh, unfortunately, they're, they're like with anybody, there's a greed factor. So having some regulations in place are good in order to, one, provide uniformity in how banks operate, in terms of minimum credit standards, things of that nature, minimum capital that's needed. So I think that is good. Uh, the problem is, is when you have regulations that become so deeply detailed that you need attorneys to come in and just figure out what the regulations are, then it becomes uh, crippling to a lot of the smaller financial institutions to operate. And you would say some of the, the regulations imposed by Dodd-Frank are, are crippling? Yeah, many of them are, are crippling from the standpoint that what's easy for a large bank to incorporate can be very difficult for a small bank. Why do you feel like maybe some regulations are overextending? And why would you feel like that based on 
basic values you think everyone can agree with? Well, you have a, a, a lot of regulations that uh, if they deal with just minimum credit standards, I feel that's a, a standard tenant that's fair and equitable for everybody. But when you have to have uh, certain numbers of loans to certain ethnic groups, if it's very difficult. If you live in a, in a community that's primarily a, a certain ethnicity, it's really hard to find a means of extending loans to others if they don't have that in a large number of other ethnic groups in their community. Um, switching gears one last time. We're about out of time. Terry, you're from Chicago. How do you feel about the big Cubs win last year? I think that what the Chicago Cubs accomplished in 2016 was a unifying effect upon the entire country. <laughs> when the country was facing a, a, a divide in political ideologies, they were facing differences of beliefs, we found something that was unifying amongst all people, all races, <laughs> all beliefs. The Chicago Cubs proved that they are the one thing that can unite our country to a greater cause. All right. Well, thank you so much, Terry, for being with us. Uh, this has been great. Thank you, Austin. It was a great opportunity just to share. Thanks for listening to Beyond Our Bubble. If you liked what you heard today, feel free to rate and review us on iTunes. If you or someone you know want to be on the podcast, or if you have thoughts on the show, email us at beyondthebubblepodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Bubble Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.